Okay, I just want to give acknowledge Randy Brown from last week. If you guys were here, that was incredible, right? Give him a hand. I don't know if he's here, but he spoke on being restored, on restoration, you know, being restored so that you can restore others, so then in turn you can be restored as well. That is key. That's the kingdom. That's the way it works, you know. God comes and, and changes us. He restores us. He, he makes us the broken things new again. And so out of that well of being healed and restored and the words he speaks on us, I want to talk about that today. He will use you to bring life to, to the world and to the nations and to this city. And um, I just I, I loved it. I thought it was important. And going out and serving those, be it poor, rich, you know, desperate, there's people all around us who need to hear the words of the Father today and the words of the Son and the words of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, the great encouragers, what I call this today. And that's uh, Jesus speaks his identity over us. And today's going to be exciting, guys. God still speaks. And he's going to speak to some of you today. And he's got, I, I guarantee you, if you just give him a chance, walk toward him and follow him, he will speak loud and clear to you about who you are in him, how he feels about you, and the things he has in store for each one of you. Uh, young to old, it's not too late. And it's never too late to hear his voice. And I would just want this to be, first and foremost today, encouraging for you guys. So I'm going to read a, uh, a book. Uh, I'm going to go to John, chapter 7. And I want to read a big chunk of it, because I want to set the context for the story. So, you ready? This is Jesus preaching at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a big event in his ministry. It's kind of pivotal. He, he does a lot in this passage. And I'd read it before with that kind of thing in mind about, you know, the feast and the, the tradition and all that. But Jesus never does anything by accident, right? He always speaks things purposely. He always shows up on the scene in a purposeful way. He may not tout it or say what he's doing, but if you look in Scripture and the pictures he paints and the places he shows up, there's always a reason that applies to us today. And um, this is one of those cases. So after this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea, because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish, Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers, the disciples, said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure um, does, uh, no one who wants to become a public figure does these acts in secret. So they're, they're pushing him up. They want to lift him up and put him on a platform, right, for their own purposes, their own agenda. And then it goes on to say, uh, since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, his, here's his answer to them, the right time for me has not yet come, for any time is right for you. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast because for me the right time has yet not come, has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, his brothers had left for the feast. He went up after them also, but not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, Where is this man? Where is that man? Among the crowds, there was widespread, widespread whispering about him. Some said, He is a good man. Others replied, No, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything about him publicly for fear of the Jews. Not until halfway, this is the point, this is where he comes on the scene, not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and began to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having studied? 
And Jesus is always about, he knows that people are trying to read into what he's doing. He knows that they're trying to put their identity on him. And he says this answer, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all astonished. Yet because Jesus gave you circumcision, you know, you circumcise on the Sabbath. But if I heal on the Sabbath, it's a sin. You know, it's like they were, they were reacting to what he did. If he heals the whole man on the Sabbath... There's a negative reaction. So he's questioning their laws, questioning their, their practices and their traditions in a way that he's trying to read into the real meaning behind everything. And then this point comes. At some point, the people of Jerusalem begin to ask, Is this, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? And Jesus was hesitant to go into Jerusalem because he knew the plots were beginning, the plots to take his life were beginning. Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know, this is essential, this is really one of the main points I'm trying to get out here, but we know where this man is from. When Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out. He's crying out because he wants to make this point. Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I am not here on my own. Where I am, where I am from, um, I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he has sent me. And I'm going to skip to, chapter, uh, to verse 37, and he concludes. This is uh, the last day of the festival. And he says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. Okay. So what I'm going to kind of get into, dig into a little bit, is all the context of the scripture, what's going on, and, and what's happening here, because it's applicable to all of us. And John 7:32, there's the, that's when he's talking about, you know, about being known. These people are saying, you know, we knew you, we saw you grow up, you know, we, some of us were from the same town, we saw you from a little child on up, and now you're saying that you're from heaven, that you've been sent. You're, and many times you're saying, you know, people are saying that you're the Christ. What gives? You know, it's this idea that we know you. We know everything about you. And I think many of you guys will relate to that idea that, you know, even if you've come through a radical conversion and met Christ in a radical way where he changed a lot of about your past, you still feel that sometimes that shame of being known. You know, when they knew you before you met him, even day to day when you fell, when you miss it, you know, they still know you. Those closest to you know you, you know, and... It's not always easy to walk this thing out. But God is saying there's one who has sent each one of us, and he has sent us here for a reason, and he will restore us. He will make it all right. Um, he says then, Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, I'm going to repeat this, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you do know where I'm from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So what this scripture, when I started digging into it recently, what it really kind of showed me, it kind of struck me for the first time in a totally different way than I'd read it previously. In it, I learned that Jesus, you know, I learned a lot more about Jesus. I learned a lot more about myself when I really dug deep and got with the Spirit on it. And I think there's something for all of us in this, this thing. Specifically, what I saw 
was how Christ dealt with what others put on him. You know, all those labels, all those names, all those things and expectations that people wanted him to be. I saw how he would always go back to the Father. He would always go back to the Father for his identity. He didn't need everyone, you know, putting their expectations on him. He did not have to fall in line with what everyone else anticipated or believed him to be. He knew what he was about. And that's the same thing for us, guys. There's something in this that is real for each one of us. And his statements are true that his source of identity and how it affected his mission to save the world was all about drawing close to the Father. It's all about kind of going back to what Randy said, being restored and then restoring others and then being restored again. It never stops. It's not a once-time thing. It's a continual thing daily, moment by moment. So I want to hang on to that. And I love how Jesus models how we're to walk, how we're to interact with people, and how we're to interact with God. We need him. And we've got to learn from the master on how to walk this thing out with confidence. He is so confident. I love that about Jesus all throughout the scriptures. He's never interrupted. You know, when someone comes who needs to come to him, he's always ready to go to them because he's not on everyone else's timeline or agenda. He's on his own. He's doing his purpose and his mission. And the same thing applies to us. If you're in Christ, you have a kingdom DNA in your life now. You've been changed. You have to believe that about yourself today. You're on mission you are a child of God, and you have his DNA. He made you in his image, and now it's all different. Despite our failings and shortcomings, Christ uses the weak to confound the wise. He uses each one of our lives to be a testimony to his goodness and his blessing and what he's done in each one of us. So let's look at the scripture. I want to dig, just go back one chapter before at the very end of 6. This is a time where Jesus is literally saying that he is the bread of life who has come down from heaven. And he shares with the Jews and the disciples around him that you must eat my body, drink my blood. And he's saying this to people who do know him, you know. So this is that whole idea that this is just radical, uh, different, and kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, uh, controversial what he's saying here. It's, it's just, it's crazy. It's blowing people's grid in their minds. But what he goes on to say, the people around him say, they grumble about him, they start to complain, and many begin to start to fall away from him because this is radical. It's pushing them to the brink of what they can take. And they say, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? And I want you to think about that. If you really believe who you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are his. You're a joint heir with Christ now. I mean, he's not only your Lord, he's your friend. He's your brother, right? He's brought you into the family of God. And in that, what if you sat down with an old friend from, from high school or even elementary school or grew up in the same neighborhood as you, and now you're adults? You sit down at Starbucks, you have a cup of coffee together, and all of a sudden you say, you know what? I've come from heaven. You know, I've come down from heaven. They think you're crazy. They would think you're insane, right? That's what happened. Jesus literally, I, mean, I don't know all the details. I don't know what he revealed along the way. All I know is he popped up on the scene at age 30 and radically changed the world for three years on the, on the earth. And people saw a man they had known for a long time all of a sudden proclaiming to be the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the King the king of this world. And I think that's radical to think about. But in reality, if we are in Christ, we are from heaven as well. We're a part of this kingdom and is not of this world. And looking at John 7, um, this is a time where the Jews were trying to take his life. And I want to um, look, look a little bit more into the identity, the things that people put on Jesus during this whole passage. The disciples, what do they do? When they're getting ready to go to, uh, Gal uh, to Judea from Galilee, they want him to go and be a spectacle, right? They want him to be a king now, a political king, many of them. They want him to pop up on the scene and say, here's who you are, perform miracles publicly, make a spectacle of yourself like a circus show. You know, so they want him to be a celebrity. 
Um, he went to the, uh, the crowd, uh, to Judea in secret, and he began to hear what people were saying about him. Um, like, is this the man? The, is this man the Christ? He's a good man. Even negative things, like he deceived the people. But halfway through the feast, he begins to teach, and he hears them ask, "How did this man gain such learning uh, without having studied?" Things like you're demon possessed. When he calls them out on them wanting to kill him, he knows their minds and he knows their hearts. He always does. And and then the people around him, the authorities even say, in, in relation to the authorities, people begin to ask, do they believe he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. So it's just, it's just rocking their world, you know? And Jesus has to hear all these things about himself. And the things he always does, he can deflect those things and take in what the Father says about him. He's grounded in what the Father has put in him. And that's the same thing for us. So he always points to the Father. I love in verses 17 and 18, he says, Once again, my teaching is not my own, but comes from the one who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out. He will find out whether my teacher comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own, remember, does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth, and there is nothing false about him. And you guys are being sent by the one who's he's sending you. He's sending you now, you know, today even. When you go and spend time with family and friends this weekend over the holiday, remember that. He is sending you now. And he has, he's deposited things in you that are meant for those around you. And I want you to uh, hang on to that. In verse 28, he says, Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, when they're calling out, We know who you are. Come on. You know, we know the real you. He says, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from, but I am not here on my own. But he who sent me is true. So he always gives reverence to the Father. He always reminds people that, uh, where he comes from. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Once again. So the main thing I want to go to that I want to kind of tee up and then go forward with is that Jesus knew who he was and walked in confidence because he knew he was loved. He received his identity, his power, and his direction and purpose from God the Father. And he now, this day, asks us to do the same thing. Um, and speaking of the, you know, speaks, God spoke his love over, over him so many times in the scriptures, and I'm going to get to a couple of examples in a minute, but it's all about God speaking. You know, we speak love on our kids. Um, kids, you need to hear the words of your parents, right? You love to hear encouragement, affirmation, and things from your parents and what it means to you. It builds you up. Uh, as a kid, that's all you've got, primarily. That's the primary, and Jesus was no different. He had to draw from the Father. But when me personally, my testimony, and many of you have heard it, and uh, I won't go into a whole lot of detail, but I was in a bar at age 21 in Dallas, and Father God came, and Jesus himself came and spoke to me. I've been in a lot of desperate situations. I've been arrested. I've been, tons of things happened, and I hate telling that to my kids, but I lived a wild life. But Jesus came and met me where I was in a bar and spoke to me and said, stop what you're doing or you're going to die, but come and follow me and you'll live. And I knew instantly who it was. It was weird. I just knew it was Jesus, you know. And I knew that he had more. It's like all of a sudden I just knew there was more than what was around me. And he uh, intersected with me. And I knew immediately I was to follow him. And it took, it's a process, right? It takes years. But the words follow me are ever ringing out uh, to all people that he speaks to. Uh, he said to me, follow me. And it's always the case all across the globe. I've seen it many times. You know, to Peter in the first case, he says, Peter, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And he still says, follow me, and I'll do whatever I'm meant, uh, you're meant to do for me. He's not going to let us down. He, if we follow him and we hang close to him, 
He's going to fulfill everything that he's intended for each one of us. It took me a long time after that instance, though, to find Father, uh, to find Father, God is Father. I knew Jesus. I needed to be radically saved. I needed, you know, I needed freedom from the things I dealt with. I'd gone through a lot of addiction. I'd gone through a lot of abuse. I'd, you know, been self-destructive. And God had to, you know, Jesus had to resurrect that stuff and change it. But Father, I didn't get because I came from divorce. I came from a fatherless home. I didn't get the concept of Father. But after going through a, a terrible relationship thing, which many of you know, I'm not going to mention it today uh, specifically. I went through a, um, a change where I, was, I felt like I'd failed as a Christian. This was a, I was a new Christian about three years in and went through a, a relationship uh, dissolve. That's the kind of way to put it. I had the big D on me, if you know what I mean. And as a Christian, that meant death to me. That's what I took it as. I, my parents had gone through it. It meant death to relationships, an end of life. And as a Christian, I felt like I'd failed. So he's not going to be able to use me anymore. I'm done. But then God came, and he spoke affirmation on me. He spoke love and he said, I'm not done with you yet. I love you. I love you, and you're my son. And when he said, you're my son, I knew it was different. I knew I could walk with God in a different way. And um, through that process, he began to restore other parts of me again and taught me. I mean, if he hadn't, I don't know how I would father my own kids. But it's only because and I fell so much. But he never fails us. And I want my kids to know Father God. Um, and I want all of you to know Father God like that because it's just a life-changing experience and it will, it will help grow you up in what you're meant to do. And we all need to des- be desperate for the words of the Father. <sighs> Thanks, y'all. So, you know, Jesus during the Feast of the Tabernacles was hearing all kinds of words. And I just want to be that way. I want to be in the, not that I don't care about people, you know, and care what they have about them to say, but when it comes to our identities, we can't rely on people. I mean, we can't rely on people for everything. There's all kinds of, I'm going to talk about the substitutes in a minute for the true words of God over our lives, but there's so many things that people and all of us, me too, try to draw from, and I do it every day, you know. If I would first turn to the Father and hear his words, it would be a different story every day. And, um, you know, they're going to call you names. Possibly as a kid, you're going to get, you're going to get, you know, there's going to be bullies. There's going to be people that, you know, call you names. There's going to be people that put you down. There's going to be adults that put you down as a kid. It, change, it makes no difference as you get older. The same thing is going to happen. And, and many times they're going to put tags on you, label you. And then you begin to do that to yourself as well. You know, you begin to put those things on yourself and begin to live out of that. It's a terrible place to be, to have to exist on those kind of things. Um, I've struggled with many things from my past that I, I put identity on me. I grew up poor. You know, I grew up in a trailer park until I was 11 years old. And, you know, that, that stereotype, uh, um, trailer park trash, I felt that for years. I felt the shame of that. I felt uh, I've always uh, struggled with a poverty mentality, to be honest with you. You know, sometimes it negatively affects our kids. It's like this, it caused me to go in the wrong direction career-wise at times where I, I pursue, pursue money, pursue wealth, because I feel like it's going to go away in an instant. I've had to struggle with that, and, and, this, and God has helped me with that so much. Um, I'm a product of divorce, so I've struggled with the orphan spirit, you know, this idea that I have no father, I have no stability, so I sought out stability in other ways, in other types of community when I was younger, the wrong type of people to hang out with, you know, it happens all the time with all of us, and I wondered, this is a weird one for me, but I wondered if I'd ever have an inheritance, because I had no family, family lineage, and um, there's even some weird things on my dad's side of the family with a, a farm and some property in the land, and people talk about the inheritance of the land and stuff in the scripture, it always just kind of gets me going and I feel it because I, I wondered if I'll have an inheritance in the long run. 
But God has changed that too. But it's something I've dealt with in the physical, in the, spirit, in, 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 in the flesh. It's something I continue to have to put down and give to God and have him exchange his things for me, his promises for me. And I wasted years of my life. I literally wasted years, decades of my life in addiction and wasted opportunities. But God is a restorer of all things. You know, the years the moth is, uh, the locust is eaten, he will restore those for you guys and for me. And um, all these things, all these identity things, I know each one of us have different sets of these, are lies. They're false. They're not who you are anymore. If you're in Christ, it's not, it's not true any longer. And I want to go, go into that a little bit. We have to um, hear the words of Jesus. We have to bask in the, just the kindness and the love of our Father in heaven. We have to have the wonderful counselor, the Holy Spirit, begin to change and rewire our minds and touch our hearts with his living water. And have us, and he will totally redirect and change the way we feel about ourselves, too, in the process. And in that process, it will change the way we view others, too. It's a miraculous thing. It's how the restoration comes. That's the way it's given out and the way it comes back to you again. And if we remember, this is, this is essential for me, is Matthew 3.17. I don't know if I, I gave that to you guys. I think I did. It's where Jesus is baptized in, um, by John, his cousin, John the Baptist. So he goes to the Jordan River. He walks up, and the Jordan symbolizes surrender. You know, the end of the old and the beginning of the new. And Jesus comes, you know, like I said before, Jesus never shows up on the scene by accident in particular places and stuff. He comes to see, for all to see. In this, this case, it's important. He comes to the Jordan. He's baptized by his cousin John, comes up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit descends on him. And he says, this, and the Father, so Son, Father, and Holy Spirit in one place in one second in time. He says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus was desperate for those words just like we need to be. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He literally went right after that into the desert to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by the enemy, by Satan, and he came out victorious because he was full of the Father's promises to him, and it changed him. And out of that, you'll see it time and time again in the scriptures. He goes into solitude, goes into the quiet place with the Father, and gets renewed and restored. He's never about anyone else's agenda. He says time and time again, I'm always about my Father's business. I only do what I see the Father do. So he needed that. Jesus needed that, and we do too. And uh, as an example of this, uh, uh, the um, number, question number one on the outline is answered here. So Jesus chose to hear the Father's voice above all others to give him purpose and meaning. And I'm going to give you an example of this, um, that we are now adopted, right? We're sons, we're daughters of Abba. And if you're not today, it can happen today. You can come into the family Belief in Jesus, a faith in Jesus, a follow me. When he says follow me and you follow him and you go forward with Christ, everything's different. You're in a family now. And uh, what I wanted to bring about, uh, show you guys is uh, in India. India means a ton to me now. Um, two years ago, we went to India with a launch mission trip. And um, it's, there's a thread that I can't get, get away from. You know, I'm connected to people. And when I see people from India, I just have this kind of, you know, desire to know them, you know, to, to tell them about Christ, and just, because I, I met people there, I met so many people there, and I wanted to, there's a group of people there called the Dalits, and in, in Indian culture, specifically in Hindu cultures, there's the caste system, and the lowest of the low in the caste system were traditionally known as the untouchables, you know, those are the ones that were basically not human in, in society's eyes, there's this, the Varna, you know, the, the scheduled uh, caste, they're the lowest of the low, 
And this is an example. You know, you see poverty everywhere in India. I mean, compared to here, the richest of the rich live in poverty, but the, the, um, the untouchables are the lowest of the lows. They're the ones that clean the excrement of the rest of society. They're the ones who do the manual labor. They'll, there's another one of a guy pulling a rickshaw. You know, they're just, they're basically slaves, and it's been illegal for, I think, a couple of decades, maybe more. The Indian government outlawed uh, discrimination, outlawed making them slaves, all kinds of policies, but in reality, it still happens. I talk to friends here who are Indian, and they still see that caste thing happening, even here in the new culture. So it still happens. Uh, you know, the next, next slide. So the untouchables, this is an example of one who we met at the Home of Hope. And that, that place is a, a place where deletes were basically brought, people who were dying on the streets. It's a, basically a hospice, you know, for, for those who are dying on the streets. In, in Bangalore, there's millions of people on the street who are homeless, millions of kids. I think there's 30 million homeless kids, last thing I heard in India, on the streets with no families. But the deletes are all ages, all groups, and many of them are maimed and uh, disfigured. There's a lot of leprosy, a lot of cancer, a lot of AIDS. You see it all in the streets. But this one guy, Ravi, brought all these people into this place and tried to give them a respectful place to die. But in turn, he also introduced most of them to Christ. And we went there one day with a group of us and um, met this woman. And um, I, namaste, you know, <laughs> it's like the peace of God to you. She, Christ, and the Holy Spirit showed up in this place because it was the lowest of the low. But Christ goes down to the lowest and low. He loves to meet those who are in need, who need him. And he showed up in a way I've never seen before, where he was literally healing bodies, restoring people, and showing up in power. And all throughout India, it's one of those thin places that Jamie talks about, because people are hungry. They're seeking the things of the Spirit, and God in Christ meets them in crazy ways. I've heard story after story from them about Christ showing up in their dreams, Christ showing up in visions and stuff, and he is about reaching the low, right? And if you feel low, if you feel like a delete, um, Gandhi, Gandhi, who was really, who was instrumental in fighting for the freedom of India from Great Britain, and also for his people, you know, he's a leader in, in Hindu, uh, the Hindu religion, but I, I see elements of Christ in him, big time, the way he related to his people, the way he reached down and brought them up. He called these untouchables, the deletes, the children of God. And I love that term because it reminds me of the Father in us that you may feel like a delete, you may feel untouchable. In fact, um, delete is a, it's from the Sanskrit word, which means um, broken to pieces, stripped, shattered, basically destroyed and ripped apart. And, and you may feel that way at times. And I'm going to show you an illustration again in a minute. But Father God says, you're a child of God. Just like Gandhi told those people, Father gives you a new name, a new identity, and says, I'm going to restore you and make you my child. And I'm going to show these, uh, these are a group of kids. This next slide, I think. Or a clip. Don't you listen for a second? So, these are kids, right? They're children, and um, they're children of God now, too, because this is a school called Narikshay that we went to where, you know, these kids were coming into the school. No one has an education. This was a, a Muslim area, slum area. These kids would come into Narikshay, be taught, taught basics, you know, uh, math and, and, and writing and everything else, but also be taught the Word of God. And through that, all these kids came to Christ, and then the mothers would come to Christ, and then what's really cool is in that whole area, the fathers were all distant, all away. A lot of them were alcoholic. A lot of them were abusive. A lot of them sold their own kids into slavery. 
but through the school's policy of involving the mother and the, and the father in teacher meetings, many of the fathers began to come to Christ too. And literally whole families are being restored and being delivered from alcoholism and, and abuse and, and, and all that stuff. And God, that's how he does it. He brings us into the family and he restores and he lets other people begin to be touched. So I just wanted to um, show you that. We love those kids. It was an awesome experience too. But that is, that is the story of God. And Romans 8, 15 through 17 says it really well. I think that's in there. It says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So today's culture, you know, that, amen for that. Amen for Father adopting us. Amen for the Holy Spirit that we can cry Abba, Daddy again, and, and know that he's faithful, know that he's true. And um, in that, there is this, um, this idea that we need to hang on to because in culture, this culture that we live in today it's a culture of celebrity, that kind of cult of personality thing where models, athletes, actors, all these guys are put on a pedestal, right? And we're to aspire to be like them, or at least we feel like we're supposed to compare ourselves to them. Um, there's all these things in society today that put, try to put identity on us, try to forge what we're to be about. And God has a different agenda than that. Social media, you know, social media is gigantic, huge. I'm in marketing, I use social media a lot to do things, but, but social media, if you look at it, and you use it a lot, you'll see that everyone's best face is forward, right? Everyone has a perfect life, perfect family, perfect marriage, they're perfect parents, you know, they have a perfect job. If you look at it most of the time, that's the perception you can have from it, right? So then I've read studies where people who spend a lot of time, and I do, spend a lot of time on social media come out depressed because they're always comparing themselves to what they're not, you know, what they're not like. And that's just another way that society begins to try to ident put identity on us. Um, you know, there's political, cultural, spiritual issues that we like to paint each other with a big, bro uh, broad brushstroke and label each other. And God's about pulling those things down and stopping that. You know, we do it all the time, and I understand it. I feel certain things too, but it's like about what would Christ, how would, how, what does He say about this situation? What does Father God say about this situation? And there's even a general malaise that happens with younger generations. It happened to my generation, Gen X. Was there was a time where we. That's why I went where I went. It was this, this perception that I had no future, you know, that I, was, I had no hope, you know. So I sought it everywhere I could find it. This idea that, um, you know, it reminds me of a song called Creep by Radiohead. And I don't recommend it. I'm not saying go listen to it today. <laughs> Jamie would, I would say the same thing, but because there's some profanity and stuff in it. But the, the basic gist of the song is I'm a creep, I'm a weirdo, I don't belong here. And that whole idea of I don't belong here is so prevalent among so many people, young and old both. I don't belong here. But God has a different thing to say about that, right? Jesus said he sent me here. So you guys are all sent here. You're alive and you're breathing for a reason today. You do belong here because you're here. You're here now and you know the Father. And you know the Spirit and you know the Son. So you're here for a reason and a purpose. And I'm praying today that God tells that to you, expresses that to you, pours his words out over you today, wraps himself around you and tells you that you do belong here, and you belong with him. So Matthew 17, 5, it's another instance where the Father and the Son connect, Jesus and his Father connect on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
And um, I love it. It's an extension of, of the baptism scene. It says, um, and this is where James, Peter, and John go up to the mountain with Jesus. And while they're on the mountain, Moses and Elijah come down and show up in front of Jesus. And they're, they're kind of having fellowship and community. It's kind of weird. I, could, I can't imagine what that's like. But the disciples then hear Father God come and speak over Jesus once again. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But the next thing he adds to this, this time, he says, listen to him. So this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And he's still saying that today to us. Listen to him. He has a lot to say about you, a lot to say to you, a lot he wants to share. He wants to share his heart. He wants your heart to be about the things of his heart, and he's got a lot to say. And so that brings up um, CORE. You know, um, Chad mentioned CORE this year, and that's one of my favorite things about CORE is just that there's a time, a section of CORE where you just really, it's all about receiving from Father God, receiving from the Holy Spirit, communing with God in worship, in prayer, in meditation, in your identity. It's about building up your identity in Christ. So you can go, and it is about making disciples, CORE is, but foundationally what we love to do first and foremost is have everyone hear what God's got for them, to hear his words over them, to be restored, to be healed, to be renewed. So out of that, then you can go and make disciples and preach the gospel and, uh, you know, baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But it's got to come out of a well of life from the Father. And so that would, that would be a big emphasis with CORE. And it's also... Um, Joe Ewing is a guy who comes and speaks during court. I think he does launch as well. He's from the Antioch movement that we're affiliated with from Scotland. There's nothing like hearing a prophetic word in a Scottish accent over your life <laughs> to confirm it. I mean, man, it's so powerful. I, I, I hang on those words. The two times he's spoken over me, I, re, I remember them. A lot of them remember them for each other, too, that we've heard over each other's lives. And we've got to hear that stuff, and we've got to hear the words of the Father. And it's life-changing. I've held, you know, when all the other stuff begins to you know, spin in my head, I have to lean back into those. I mean, I'm here. I'm standing here today because of things he said. Being involved in CORE is because of the things he said that I heard from Father God during that time of my life. And it will change the course, the direction of your life. They really hear those things and act on them. Follow him. Follow him and hear. Listen to him. So question number two, we can plug in the blank there is we cannot function in fullness of power unless we meet with God frequently to hear his words of love for us. And then third, third question on the outline, accept no substitutes. Accept no substitutes. And today I'm praying that God will speak loud and clear. In fact, when I was getting ready for this, it reminded me of a song from the 90s. I'm dating myself. After I got saved, there was a big worship song at the time called Jesus, Holy and Anointed One. Remember that? Anybody? Your words are like honey on my lips. Your spirit's like water to my soul. And your, lamp, or your word is a lamp unto my feet. My Jesus, I love you. So, Father, I mean, your words are like honey on our lips. Your spirit is like water to our soul. It quenches us. It, it cleanses us. It fills us again. And your light, your words over us are a lamp to our feet. They guide us. They direct us. And you say, come and follow you today. And we want to do that, Lord God. I want to show you, um, speaking of the words of God and the, the prophetic, I know there's different thoughts on, on prophecy and things, but in reality what it is is encouragement. And it's encouragement from the Father. That's what prophecy is. And so when we, we encourage each other, we hear God for each other, speak it over. You've got to be careful, but you gotta, you know, make sure always you're hearing what the Father says for yourself first. And then if you hear a word for, for others, share it. 
but also always be about listening to the Father. And this example is something I saw while I was jogging. Uh, I like to run and pray, and I haven't got to do it as much lately, but um, a few months ago, I was running down these trails, and this tree was, had, I don't know if lightning had struck it or what, but it was laid out, and that looks small there, but it's literally about the length of, probably from this wall to me, probably about 15, 20 feet long, shattered, splintered, like the delete you know, word means, splintered, torn apart, raw, shattered and broken to pieces, right? Just like the, the delete uh, analogy. And God stopped me in my tracks, and I tried to run past it, and he said no. And so I had my phone on me because I had an iPod and music going. I took a picture of it, and I thought I was supposed to share it that day, and he said, just wait, there'll be a time. And it's all about that. He said, you feel that way so often about yourself. You know, like you're, you're, you've been pulled up out by the roots, you've been destroyed, cut open, split open, and you're raw and exposed. And what he said was, that's exactly how I need you. You know, I need you to be that way so I can restore you. And the next picture is just an example of what he kind of pictured in my brain what came about that day was, I'll make you in a, like Chad mentioned a few weeks ago, a mighty oak of righteousness. Your roots will go deep. And I, I, there's another place where I run along the Trinity River over on Hewlin in Bel Air. And there's this, they're doing construction on the, I think the north side of the river now, but on the other side of the river toward Hewlin, there's this row of trees of Edwards Ranch where there's still thick trees, and there's all these giant oak trees like this. And one, one time when I was running and I was praying about what was next, you know, I think it was during that core, between core and launch, I was looking above the tree line, and he showed me these two trees, and I was really praying about me and Lisa, what we were going to do. And he had said, there's these, so he pointed out these two oaks that were above the rest. And he didn't mean a ranking system or anything. He just wanted to point it out, this is for you guys, and it's for many others in the church who need to hear this. And what I saw was a tree like this, but it was super tall. I mean, these trees are massive, but there was these two that were well above that, probably 20 or 30 feet above those. And within the branches were all these birds, flocks of birds. And these are huge. These aren't little cardinals and stuff. These are these big cranes that go down in the river and get fish and come up. They're three or four feet tall when you see them standing by the river. Crazy big. And I saw probably two or 300 in each of those trees. And what he was saying is, you know, you may think of yourself like that, shattered and broken, but I see you as an oak of righteousness. If you come and follow me, I will make you into that, and I will put people in your wings, under your arms, and you will restore them, and you will let them fly out of your, out of your limbs too. It's this idea that we are made to be built up, strengthened, and empowered by the, by the Spirit of God, and when we get to that point, we will be, we'll be fruitful. You know, we'll have an impact on this earth, you know, and, that's, and it, we can be stable again. And when you feel weak, he will stabilize you and he will strengthen you and he will make you into an oak of righteousness. And that is a word for somebody here today that you may feel splintered and destroyed and exposed, but God has that picture in mind for you. So listening prayer is another thing I want to talk about real fast um, here at church. And this is the idea, and if you haven't gone through listening prayer, I'd suggest it. I'd recommend it. And what it is basically is you come into a, a prayer setting you and two other people, one who prays and intercedes and one who helps guide you through a prayer. And what it's all about is listening, just listening, listening for the Father's words of life on you, words of love, words of hope and restoration. And um, many t most of the time what happens is, like I mentioned earlier, all the garbage from my life, the things I believed about myself, the lies, those are exposed. And Father God, through his spirit, begins to bring those to mind. And he, he allows you to give them to him exchange them. You know, he points out, you know, when did you begin believing the lie about yourself and about me, about Father God? And the cool thing is he always does an exchange. 
in, the, in that system, in that process of listening to him. He always says, give me those things, and I'll exchange the real truth about who you are. And it is life-changing. It will set you free from things. And I've seen people, I've seen myself just come out of that thing with new, new zeal, new hope, and a realization of who I am in him. And I just encourage you guys, that's a, that's a real thing that we do here that's important. And also today, I'll just bring it up number four, please. Just remember today and believe today that you are a son or a daughter of God Most High. If you know Christ, you are a son and daughter of God Most High. You have an inheritance. Um, he has good things in store for you. And he wants to speak about that today to many of you. And um, I think what I want to do is um, if the worship team could come up, we're going to kind of close with some ministry time in a minute. But I'm going to read some scriptures over you guys that is um, kind of what I think the Father wants to share. And also, um, a few of you guys who are going to pray for, for folks, if you could come up and stand for just a second. And everyone else, please stand. Don't come up yet, but just a second. Um, just pre be preparing your heart. Listen to these scriptures. Let it soak over you. Let the words penetrate your heart. And... Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rip off a bunch of them here. And I want to remind you again of John 7, 35-37 from this passage we just talked about. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those he believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Ephesians 2.10 is something we've been going through with my kids. It's, for we are God's handiwork, His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's a promise. You're God's handiwork. He made you. He made you to do good works. In Christ. You're made in Christ, too. The things that Christ does, you can do, too, because He's saying, follow me in those things. Revelation 2.17 says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who's victorious or an overcomer, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Let me turn here. I love this one. To him who overcomes, you will not be hurt at all by the second death. To he who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. All these are from Revelation 2 and 3. They're good to meditate on. To he who overcomes and does the will, my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star, to he who overcomes, like them, he will be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. To he who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him a name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. And to he who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I have overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. So to him who has an ear, let him hear 
what the Spirit says to the churches today. So Phil, I just I pray that you'd be expectant that God would speak to you today. And you can come up and get prayer from these guys, and, and they will hear God for you, and you can hear God firsthand today. And I'm going to pray real quick, and if you feel called and led, come on down. And Jesus, you are so good. You are so awesome. I love that you still speak to us. And I pray, Father God, that you would speak those words of affirmation that you love us, that you are pleased with us. And we want to listen to you today, God, and believe the truth about who we are in you, Lord God. Abba, Father, we cry out, come and be with us. Come and speak to us today, God. We're your kids, and we love you. We've got to hear your words again, God. Exchange the lies for the truth, Lord God, today. Holy Lord Jesus, come and just inhabit, our, inhabit us. Fill our hearts with your presence, God. Fellowship with us today and tell us new things. Give us a new name. Holy Spirit, we need your living water to wash over us and restore us, God. Come and speak, Jesus. We have ears to hear today, God.